Well, so good to see each one of you. Thank you all so much for coming out on a Wednesday night. We appreciate that. Wednesday nights can be difficult um, if you're working or you've got, right now we don't have to worry about getting kids on and off school buses and things like that. But Wednesday nights can just be a little bit of a challenge sometimes with getting to church because we're in the middle of the week and there's stuff going on and activities and responsibilities and so forth. So thank you all so much for coming. We just greatly appreciate it. I'm kind of laughing tonight. Um, Tyler helped me here. I asked for a bigger um, stand and it was funny because when he brought me this one, which is nice and great, it's bigger, but it's lower. And so it's not as close to my eyes. So I've got this one higher um, because I can look down a little bit easier. And then I've got this one to hold my Bible because I ran out of room. And then my husband was a little bit picking on me because he's always been the one with horrible eyesight. Poor thing, he's, he's always struggled with it. And he's the one with the large print Bible. Well, tonight I took his large print Bible and I'm using it. So I have two stands. One is much higher than the other because that helps me see. And then I have his large print Bible. So, um, yes, I had a birthday here the other week. And, you know, it's just... It's kind of those things. Every time I go to the eye doctor, she keeps saying, Krista, you're really at that place. You know, those bifocals, you're really at that place. And I'm like, no, no. Well, I think I'm going to have to because I'm having a harder and more difficult time. So you all bear with me if you see me up here squinting or whatever. But it's so good to have you all here tonight. And thank you all. This is something that I have really wanted to speak on um, for such a long time. Honestly, it has been, it's been a book of the Bible and a chapter in the Bible that I have had notes written all around it for years. And um, when I was asked by Pastor Cindy to speak, I kept thinking, Lord, what am I going to speak on? What am I going to speak on? And all of a sudden, it was like, it was time for me to speak on this particular book and chapter. So um, I'm having to divide it up into two weeks. I will be here again next week. There you go. There's your warning. Um, but I will be here again next week. And actually, I was like, wow, God, you're, you're so awesome because I was going to try to get all of this into one night. And the more I was just diving into it, it's like, no, this isn't going to work. I am not going to be able to get it all in, in one night. And just wouldn't you know it, Pastor Cindy had, had asked me to speak for next Wednesday as well. And so it's like, okay, God's timing is just so amazing. Um, it's just like, you know, literally this has been on my heart for years and I've never had the opportunity or the timing just didn't feel right. And so I feel that it's just such a vital um, and such an important topic for us right now. So I'm going to start in Nehemiah chapter one. And I am going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. So if you all have your Bibles, I would love for you to follow along with me, even if it's not in that translation. And I'm going to do my best to pronounce some of these names. But Nehemiah 1, beginning with verse 1, it says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. 
Hanina, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant us success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. The book of Nehemiah is the last of the Old Testament historical books. Uh, when we look at our Bible, we have to remember that this is not in chronological order. Um, this is not, you can buy Bibles that are chronological order and put the books in that way. But Nehemiah is the last of the Old Testament historical books. The book of Nehemiah fits within the reign of King Artaxerxes I of Persia. And I thought this was an interesting little tidbit. Esther is Artaxerxes' stepmother, and it is possible that she was instrumental in Nehemiah's appointment as the king's cupbearer. Later, the king commissions Nehemiah to act as governor of Jerusalem. Um, just got to go back just for a second that Esther is Artaxerxes' stepmother and was possibly instrumental in Nehemiah's appointment as the king's cupbearer. We're not going to talk too much on that tonight, but think about this. Think about Esther. Was she not told that for such a time as this, her time wasn't just while she was alive. This is years later, and she is still making an effect on those around her. This isn't just for that time when she was made the beauty queen. Remember the story? Remember? 
And she went before the king and, and pleaded on behalf of the children of Israel. Her life was still making an impact. And I just thought that was so interesting. The kings, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are a literary unit. They go together like first and second Sam, uh, kings or Samuels or Chronicles. They both share the same historical background. While Ezra deals with the religious restoration of Judah, Nehemiah is primarily concerned with Judah's political and geographical restoration. Nehemiah's concern for the welfare of Jerusalem and its inhabitants prompts him to take bold action. Nehemiah challenges his countrymen to arise and rebuild the shattered walls of Jerusalem. And in spite of opposition from without and abuse from within, the task is completed in only 52 days. That was a feat that even the enemies of Israel had to recognize as God's provision and God's enabling. The first seven chapters of Nehemiah are devoted to the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls because Jerusalem was the spiritual and political center of Judah. And without walls, Jerusalem could hardly be considered a city at all. As governor, Nehemiah also establishes a firm silver, civil authority. The last chapters of Nehemiah are devoted to the restoration of the people. After the completion of the walls, Ezra gives the people a marathon reading of the law. The people respond with weeping, confession, obedience, and rejoicing. The task of reviving and reforming the people of God within the rebuilt walls demands years of Nehemiah's godly life and leadership. Ezra and Nehemiah work together to build the people spiritually and morally so that the restoration will be complete. So we have Ezra and Nehemiah, they go hand in hand as books together. Ezra giving the, um, the part of rebuilding them spiritually. And then you have Nehemiah who established them with a firm civil authority. He talked about their political center of being there in uh, of Judah. So they both came together, but I thought this was so interesting because they knew that it was the spiritual and moral parts of the people that had to be restored for the work to be complete. In Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah tells the king of his concern for Judah, and he asked the king's permission to travel to Judah to rebuild the city. Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem in verse 11 of chapter 2, and he begins to survey the ruins of the walls. 
he had to take inspection of the walls. And in verse 17, Nehemiah said to the priest, nobles and officials, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. For it was disgraceful for the city, for this capital city, this beloved city of God to be laying in ruins. It was a disgrace and it was not a good representation to those around them of what God had done for them in the past or what God was doing for them now as the children of God. This was not a good representation for the city to be laying in disgrace and in ruin. So in Nehemiah chapter three, verses one through two, the high priest and the other priest start with the rebuilding of the sheep gate. And it's gonna go through in chapter three and it's gonna take you through this whole long list of gates. And the very first gate that got worked on for this wall and around the city was the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate was the gate used to bring in the sheep into the city to the temple for sacrifice. That's where it started. The rebuilding of the wall started with the spiritual leaders for they were the ones who were there to lead, not only by words, but also by actions. They had to start at the sheep gate. I think that's so significant. You have to take care of the spiritual before you can start taking care of all the other, okay? And I also thought it was so interesting because this, the spiritual leaders had to put into action their words. Remember in James, it says, faith without works is dead. So they couldn't just talk about it. They had to get out there. They had to get themselves dirty, their hands dirty, have some sweat going to rebuild this gate. It also says as the people from the town worked next to the priest. It was a joint effort. The church people, let's say, didn't just sit back and say, let them do it. It's their job. That's the gate that they need to worry about because it's for the sheep coming into the city to go to the temple. Let them take care of that one. No, it says that the people from the town worked next to the priest. It was a joint effort. In verses three through five, it says that the fish gate was rebuilt. And this was where one of the main roads through Jerusalem entered into the city through the fish gate. In verses three through four, we have a list of names of all of these people who helped work on this gate. And then we come to verse five and we read that the leaders of Tokia refused to work. When I was looking at my commentaries, it says that they were considered to be lazy, that they did not support the rebuilding of the wall. 
And that one even said, perhaps they thought of themselves too highly, thinking that that work was below them. We always have some of those in the crowd, don't we? Let's not be one of those, okay? Then in verse six, they were, we have the rebuilding of the old city gate. Verse 13, it's the valley gate. In verse 14, it is the dung gate that had to be rebuilt. And it is the word you think it is, the dung gate. This gate was the main exit to the valley of Hinnom, where the city disposed of its garbage. This is also the area that Jesus later used as a picture of hell. In the New Testament, when Jesus would talk about the place of hell where the worm would never die and the fire is not quenched, it was in the valley of Hinnom outside of the dung gate. Verse 15, the fountain gate. This was a gate that was strategically located near to the pool of Siloam. In verse 26, we have the water gate. Now, not all of the water gate was repaired, but the walls all around it were repaired. Verse 28 was near the horse gate. This was an area that was repaired by the priest. They worked on that as well. Verse 29, we have the east gate. It was repaired. This gate leads directly to the temple. Tradition says that Jesus later entered the temple on Palm Sunday through this gate. In verse 31, we have the inspection gate. The inspection gate is where the army would assemble. And also as you go through this chapter, there's all these names of people who worked with so-and-so and worked beside so-and-so and they were the son of so-and-so who worked here and they worked at this section of the gate or they worked at this section of the wall and they went for this far and then they would stop and then it would mention somebody else's name of who would start working on that area. These were people of all walks of life. We have mentioned goldsmiths, perfumers, men and women. We have the account of a father and his daughters working on the wall. We have priests, we have uh, leaders, we have merchants. All of these worked on these walls, on these gates and also towers. Many times the gates would have a tower on each side of them and those towers were used for military purposes so that they'd have a place to be able to look out of or defend from. And these were all these people who repaired parts of the wall. Many of these people worked on a part of the wall that they were associated with. We hear in the very beginning where the sheep gate was worked on by the high priest and that was the part that was associated with them in the temple. So sometimes people were working on a part of the wall because it was something they were associated with. We also know that sometimes people worked on the wall that was in front of their house. This is where their house is. They'd go out and they'd repair the wall in front of their house. Don't know why it took them so long, but they finally got around to it. There were others who put in extra work and repaired wherever they were needed. 
that didn't matter if they were associated with it directly or not, or if it was in part in front of their house or not, they just worked on it because there was a need. Nehemiah knew the importance of walls. He knew the importance of Judah being protected by walls. He also knew that the city had been sitting this way unprotected for far too long. Now let's talk about what walls are. Walls, especially back in those days, were used to set up boundaries. They were places to mark territories, to divide those who belonged within from those who belonged outside. Walls were used to identify landmarks and locations. Walls were used to create protection, to provide a barrier from the enemy, to be a fortification. The walls were vital during wars and attacks. Just as a side note, years ago, I was able to travel to Europe with my brother and he took us and he took me and my daughter and his family. And Madison at the time was only 11 and he told us we had to backpack. So all I had was what I could take in my backpack. And that was quite the experience in and of itself. But one of the neatest things was going and seeing these old castles. And one of the castles that we had gone to um, there in Germany, it was so amazing because whenever you would go to walk into where the castle was, there was this huge hole that you had to walk under. And that's because there would be soldiers that would stand above. And if you were an enemy, there was going to be hot boiling tar coming down through that hole as you tried to come in the door. This is how they built back then. We went to another castle that had actually been partially destroyed by Napoleon. And that was so interesting because you would go through the walls and the walls were so thick. Oh my goodness, they were thick. And they would put these holes through these walls and they wouldn't just put them straight out. They would put angle the hole in the wall to whatever direction they want it to look. So if this was the area that the enemy would most likely be coming from, they would take that hole and instead of just digging out a hole straight out of the wall, they would curve that hole so that they could see down to where the enemy would most likely be coming up. And that's how they would be able to shoot their bow and arrow out that hole headed in that direction. The whole way that they built their walls and their castles and their fortresses were all built in a way of defense. They would build up on top of hills so that their enemy would have to come up the hill and it would give them the advantage because they'd be able to shoot down at them as they were running up and coming up to them. In fact, in this same particular castle, that we were at, they had such large, long, um, just um, tunnels that ran under the ground and they were so tiny. They were only about this big and you'd have to crawl through them. I told my brother I wasn't going in there, so I didn't go. The rest of them all went. My daughter Madison went, she's 11. She thought it was great. But there's no lights 
in there at all. So my brother would literally go through and he would fill with his hand. And it was pitch black in there, except for what little tiny flashlights, I think one or two of them had. And he'd say, okay, wait a minute. All right, I think it goes to the right. All right, guys, you're going to have to all be turning to the right. And they'd go down to the right, and they'd realize, oh, this is a dead end. Okay, we got to turn around. And they'd all turn around. I was like, there is no way. And they would all turn around, and they, he would feel his way along the wall until, okay, I think it's going this way. All right, let's go this way, guys. They spent so much time under there, I just stayed on top. I thought, there is no way. And when my 11-year-old at the time, Madison, she's now 26, when she came out, she goes, well, where's all of the creeks and crevices we were going to go into? And my brother's like, we've already been in them, Madison. That was it. I don't know what in the world she was expecting. But they built those tunnels so that they would have soldiers that would crawl through there and they would set off bombs so that as they were had different ones running up the hill, as they would step across those tunnels where they had buried those bombs and they would be able to detonate them and it would be a defense against their enemy that was coming over those tunnels. And some of those tunnels had survived and they were allowing tourists to go through them. It was very, very important during that time And so here we have the city laying in ruins because the wall, their defense, their protection, their boundary from their enemies and surrounding people and countries had been destroyed and had been sitting in ruins. The wall defined the city. It caused the city to be set apart As in this Old Testament story, we read about walls and the rebuilding of those that had been torn down. We as Christians can learn from this. We can learn from this story of the importance of spiritual walls as well as physical walls. We can learn the importance of rebuilding those spiritual and physical walls that have been torn down even in our own lives. Let's think about this. My daughter tells me all the time, mom, it's a good thing to have boundaries because she always tells me I won't say no to anyone or to anything. Yes, that's, yes, I'll do that. Yeah, that, that's fine. And my daughter Madison's all, it's okay to say no, mom. It's okay to have boundaries. So we, even in our spiritual walk with the Lord, we need to have boundaries. We need to have some spiritual walls. And sometimes those spiritual walls have been torn down through either attacks of the enemy. We have Satan who tries to come against us. We have the attacks sometimes that happen in our bodies because maybe we are going through a time of just terrible sickness. Perhaps the walls of our spiritual life have been torn down because of neglect. Maybe because we've just gotten too tied up in life and in the busyness of it that we've allowed these spiritual walls that we once had to be torn down. We have to start at the beginning 
when we believe in Jesus and we ask him to come into our lives and to save us from our sins, right then we are setting up spiritual walls. We are setting up spiritual walls within our lives. We are saying that we are now set apart by God. We are his and we identify with him. There's a spiritual wall that has just been established. Then as we grow in our relationship with God, our identity with God should become more obvious Perhaps our walls start to get a little taller. Perhaps we add a couple more layers of rock or a couple more layers of brick on top of it. Perhaps our walls begin to cover more ground. Perhaps we start spreading out our spiritual walls a little bit more. Perhaps the footers to the wall begin to take on a little bit more weight as we are growing in our relationship with the Lord. Can you picture that? Can you get that mental picture? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Being put into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When we become in Christ, we are now a new creation. The old things have been done away with. Now all things are of God. We have some new boundaries, right? When you ask Jesus into your life, there was, should have been a change, a distinction, a setting apart, a, a decision of now I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow in his footsteps. So several weeks ago, I spoke on what it was to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, what that meant. We are now in a new dwelling place, right? The old has passed away. We are new. Think of it as getting new real estate. You're a new creation. You've taken up a new residence. You've moved into a new house. You've moved into a new apartment. Things are different. We now have boundaries that cause us to think differently, live differently, talk differently. Because now Holy Spirit has moved in and has taken up residence. Some house cleaning has been done and some things have been thrown out. When we ask Jesus into our life, there's those old things that get thrown out, right? Through his forgiveness, through his washing, those things that we once hoarded, we are, they are no longer of importance. Our lives, our lives are different. We now live within the wall of protection of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to our hearts and to our minds. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Another version says, he whose spirit is without restraint 
is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Another, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Self-control is the fruit, is one of the fruit of Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Self-control is the power to control one's actions, impulses, or emotions. It is exercising restraint over our emotions. Having self-control is like having a wall built up. It's a boundary. Psalms 141, three through four says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies or be tempted by their gain. We're talking here about restraint. We're talking here about self-control. We're talking here about setting a guard. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Another translation says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Our heart is the source of life. It determines the course of our life. Walls make a way to guard and keep ourselves. Earlier I said that without walls, Judah could scarcely be considered a city. Without walls or boundaries, we can scarcely be considered a follower of Christ. As a Christian, we are to guard, protect, defend our relationship with Jesus. What might that look like? We may have to build up some walls. We may have to patch some holes or maybe start rebuilding, starting from the footer all the way up. Proverbs 24, three through four says, by wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians three eleven. for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. And Psalms 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman 
stays awake in vain. I guess that as I was, had read this book and chapter so many years ago, and I've read it several times since, I just kept getting this, this mental picture of Nehemiah going around. He hears, first of all, that the city of Judah is laying in ruins. It is a disgrace. It was a disgrace of the name of Jesus because this was the children of Israel. This was Judah. This was their capital city. This was their place. And here it is lying in destruction from attack. And then they just neglected it. They just left it laying like that. Not only had they been attacked, but then they did nothing about it. They just left it, even the places right in front of their house. The sheep, the sheep that was the sheep gate, the priest had just allowed it to lay in ruins. The place that had been set apart for the sheep to be brought in for the sacrifices to the temple, they had just allowed it. And I would get this mental picture then of, of Nehemiah walking around the city and, and, and he's looking and he's seeing this. It says that he did it at, to do the inspection at night. He didn't even let others know that he was doing it except for a couple of close people to him. And, and there was one place where the ruins were so bad that it talks about how they couldn't get the donkey through because it was too much rubble for them to try to walk through it. And he went through and he did a thorough inspection. And then he comes back to the king and he tells the king, because the king keeps saying to him, Nehemiah, what is wrong? What is wrong? And, and he tells him all of this stuff about the, the, um, how his place, this city, has been laying in ruins. And then he goes and he does the inspection and all these things are happening. And then he has to go to the people and say, okay, we need to do something. I also love how when Nehemiah started with this whole thing, it says that he spent days moaning and fasting and praying. And then he cried out to God, repenting of his sin, his family's sin, and the sins of the city. And I was just thinking about all of this, and I was just thinking about how we can apply that to ourselves spiritually today. I think that this gives us a, a perfect opportunity that just like how Nehemiah went around and he, he inspected the city and all of the ruins and all of the places where the wall had come down, it reminds me of how we need to have Holy Spirit to look into us and do an inspection. Are there places in our lives where the walls have been torn down and it has given access to the enemy? Are there places in our lives where there needs to be boundaries? 
Perhaps we look like the leaders of Tokia back in Nehemiah 3, 5, where it says that they were just too lazy or that they thought too highly of themselves that they didn't feel that they needed to work. You know, perhaps when we look at ourselves, we think, well, I'm not so bad. I'm better than what I used to be or I'm better than so-and-so. Do we need Holy Spirit to do an inspection on us the way that Nehemiah did to the wall in chapter two? Without walls, Judah was defenseless against any enemies that would come against it. And when we don't have some spiritual walls built up, we also leave room for the enemy to come in and tear us down. A city with broken walls revealed a defeated people. Other people could walk by and they could see that this city, this once great city of the children of Israel now being in ruins, now a disgrace, they could see that as a defeated people. We live defeated when our spiritual walls are broken down. In Nehemiah chapter one, we read Nehemiah's prayer after mourning and fasting and praying. In verse five, it says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Verse six, listen to my prayer. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. Verse seven, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Before these walls could be rebuilt, there had to be repentance that was first made. It all had to start with repentance. Then there was the inspection The inspection of our life comes through the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting us, nudging us. And then comes the rebuilding through self-control and through boundaries. I don't know why this made such an impact on me personally. I'll be honest with you, it's not the easiest thing to try to teach on. And even as I've been up here, my head's been going a thousand miles a minute in my thoughts and in my brain. But we, starting with Krista, have to make sure that our spiritual walls aren't being weakened. I was listening to um, something as I was um, sitting in my car and I listened to so much like Christian talk radio and different things. And, you know, 
there's a lot of stuff going on in society right now. A lot of stuff going on in our culture. And we are actually at a place right now that if we speak out against things, in America, in America, people are getting in trouble for it. And I was watching this one thing where this man um, was literally, literally just standing outside of where some parents were um, standing up against some of the things that are now being taught in school. And he was literally just standing out there praying. And of all of those that the police arrested, it was him. In America. He wasn't protesting. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't screaming. He didn't even have a sign. He was literally just standing there praying. And of all of the people that were arrested, it was him. They had, they had footage of it. We live in a culture and we live in a society that if you speak out against anything, you get what they called canceled. The other day, I don't even know what in creation I had posted on Facebook, but it said that I was out of Facebook for a, a while. I was being punished. I didn't even know what in the world I had posted that was supposed to be wrong. This is where we're at. And, it, and it's at a place to where people don't want to talk about it. I get it. But if you read the purposes of Ezra and the purpose of Nehemiah, what was the purposes of these books? Ezra deals with the religious restoration of Judah, while Nehemiah is primarily concerned with Judah's political, I said the word, political and geographical restoration. We have things that are going on right now that we as Christians, if we're not careful, we can just start allowing our walls, our boundaries, our barriers to just come down and be like, well, I don't want to say anything. Well, maybe it's not so bad. Well, that is how, you know, it is now. Can I really, really encourage us tonight? Guys, there's so much I could say, and I am just really struggling with it. But can I just encourage you tonight to be as I am needing to be? And just say, Holy Spirit, wherever I've allowed a wall to be torn down, wherever I've neglected a wall, wherever I have allowed my boundaries to just be disregarded, Lord God, reveal that to me. Inspect that part of me. 
And then I pray that you're going to build it back up and you're going to build me even stronger that I will be able to withstand. Because I just believe that that is where we are. There is such a spiritual battle going on right now for the hearts and the souls of men and women and children. There is such a spiritual battle going on. And I think the reason why we can see it in such a different way is because we do have our phones. We do have internet. We do have Facebook. We do have Instagram. We do have news at the, just the touch of a button. And so we see so much more than what we saw even 15 years ago. There's so much more information coming to us. And so there's a lot of things that are going on right now. And I just want to encourage you to be like Nehemiah, who goes before the Lord like Nehemiah did in chapter one. And he says, look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. I don't know about you, but I just feel a heaviness in even trying to preach this tonight. Where are the places in our own hearts and lives where perhaps once we, there was a time that there had been a boundary there and now there's not. Or once there had been a wall there of protection and now there's not. Do do you see what I'm trying to say? Where are those areas in our lives where we're, we're caving in? We're caving into society. We're caving in to the culture of the day. And so maybe some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't really apply to me, Krista. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not out in the world quite as much anymore. I, maybe, you know, Praise God, maybe you've been able to retire and you've been able to get away from a few things, but there's a lot of us that are still having to deal with these things all the time. And even if you're not, I can guarantee you that your son or your daughter or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew's having to. Guys, I'm just gonna go there. This is ridiculous. Am I being recorded? Yes? So be it. So the other day I get an email and at the bottom of the email, it tells the person's name and the pronouns by which they want to be called. They, them. I did not even know how to respond back to the email. I thought, what if I put the word he in there? What if I put the word she in there? I can't put the, they in there. I can't put them in there. 
That's plural, and it's it's with grammar. It's totally not correct. How do I respond to this? So I tried to write back an email that left all of that out. Yes, guys, that's where we're at. And I could get in a lot of trouble for saying this. That's where we're at. You may not be personally, but someone that you know, a loved one, a relative, a kid, a grandchild, they are there. They're having to deal with these things. Guys, I could literally stand up here and tell you things that would make your head spin of what all I am seeing. If we as Christians don't have some spiritual walls built up, if we don't go and say, Holy Spirit, inspect me, see where I have allowed some of my walls to come down, reveal to me where I've had some walls attacked and I never bothered to go back to the Lord and have them rebuilt, it's time that we do that. If not just for our sake, for our family's sake. Nehemiah, he was not selfish to just say, they sinned. He said, no, me and my family, we have sinned and we repent. You know, guys, may we just allow Holy Spirit to check over our hearts and our minds. Because in a split moment of having to return back this email, I had to make a decision. How am I going to respond? Am I going to acknowledge they, them? It says in the scripture that we are made in the image of God, male and female. And I thought, I'm not going to respond saying, hello, they. Because if I did, what was Krista doing? I was allowing a wall to come down. Now, I didn't have to get on there and start blasting this person saying, what's wrong with you? I'm a Christian. Don't you know? Blah, 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 blah. First of all, that wasn't the time. That wasn't the place. And I have no relationship with that person to even be able to go there with that person. But I surely was going to respond in a way to where I wasn't bending the knee to it either. Does that make sense? And that's what I think Nehemiah is talking about here. Yes, he's talking about actual physical walls. 
But I believe it is a, a story that we can take today to be reminded of the spiritual walls, the spiritual boundaries, the dividing in the, you know, the line in the sand of saying, I'm not, I'm not going to cross this way. I'm not. Because if we say, if we say, if we say that this is God's word, large print and all, if we say this is God's word and that this is what I live by because it is the word of God, then guess what? We're going to have to have some walls and we're going to have to have some boundaries. And we're going to have to ask the Lord to rebuild any walls or boundaries we've allowed to be destroyed or weakened or caved in or to come down. And we're going to have to repent for our own sake and for the sake of our families. And even more than that, for the sake of our nation. Now I'm gonna close and I appreciate you all hanging with me through this. Next week, we're gonna look into the rest, some more of Nehemiah. Cause next week they were told that whenever they went out to build the wall, because they begin to start having some opposition, and I'm not going to preach it tonight, but they, when they started having some opposition, they were told that they were to have a sword in one hand and their tool to build the wall in another hand. And that they were to set up a guard and those guards would be protecting and watching the workers as they were working on the wall Nehemiah was going to be set up so he could also keep watch for any enemies. And if the trumpet sounded, that meant that there was an enemy coming and everybody was to stop what they were doing and was to run to that sound so they could all defend together. Guys, I just believe, I just believe we're, we're in a place where we're going to have to have a sword in one hand. And we're going to have to have our tool of rebuilding in the other hand. That's where we're at. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. I don't know. Maybe I see too much. Maybe I read too much. Maybe I dive too, too deeply into some of these things but I'm working in an area right now where I'm faced with it every single day. And I'm seeing stuff every single day. And I have young adults in my home that are seeing it every single day from what they have to encounter. We need to have some spiritual walls.